Welcome to the King's Chapel, Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. I'm going to begin with... Um, uh, uh, give me a second here. I want to make sure I want to go in the right direction. I want to begin with a story, and then I'm going to, from this story, build several scriptures. We're going to go to a lot of verses in the next few moments. My son, I was here with you before, and I think I shared with you that my son had been addicted to drugs and alcohol. To our knowledge, we knew nothing about it. It was a secret addiction. In senior year of school, the principal called us and expelled him from a private school. His mama homeschooled him in the 12th grade. He struggled for nine years. We actually prayed for him for nine years to be completely free from this horrible addiction. He could have died on me twice, ended up in the emergency room in the hospital near death. And um, uh, just bear with me for a moment. And so I was praying for him positively. I was praying for him to be uh, delivered. It's very steadfast. I told Pam we're going to agree. We're not going to doubt. Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, several years ago, I was preaching and was walking back from the room in a morning service or to the room from the convention center. And I got a text on my phone that my son was, had, had, a, had a problem. He'd gotten in trouble. And I remember someone was there with me carrying some things to my room with me. And I began to spout out of my mouth the worst unbelief and aggravation, frustrating toward my son, calling his name. He wasn't there. And all of the sudden, something very strange happened to me. I heard a word from the Lord. And the Lord spoke to me at that moment and said, don't abort your breakthrough. And I knew what he was saying. He was saying, you are praying one thing, but you're saying now something else. And he showed me by the Spirit. We're going to go there in a moment. He showed me by the Spirit. He said, when you begin to believe me and your faith is operative, that's what I operate on. But he said, when you begin to speak against what you have prayed, Satan has the legal right to come into my presence and say, you can't do that for him, for he is now in unbelief. And I realized that my words were canceling out the things that I was saying. Now, I'm going to go in a moment to a scripture that is found in the book of Daniel. And because I'm going to show you some things that are found in the book of Daniel that I think are absolutely extraordinary, um, if, you'll, if you'll bear with me for just a moment. As a matter, a matter of fact, I have messed my notes up, so I'm going to have to find the, the, the verse I was looking for. But in Daniel chapter 21, how many of you know in Daniel chapter 21, I'm sorry, chapter 10, that Daniel was in prayer for a, uh, a, a period of time, and I found him. Somebody, baby, I'm in a mess right here. I need your help. Come on up here, sweetie. Really serious. I need your help. Yeah, yeah. Well, who's baby but you? Come on. What do you mean? What do you mean, me? I'm going to give you some papers so I don't have to put them back in. Here we go. I don't know how I did that. It's age. That's what you can blame it on. and Nobody thinks anything about it. Okay. Got it. Got it. God spoke to me and said, do not abort your breakthrough. And so as a result of that, I began to do a study on the power of prayer and the power of words that are involved in the prayers that we pray. And so for the next few moments, I want to focus on the book of Daniel. I'm going to share a couple things with you from the book of Daniel. First of all, let me go through some basic things that I think are foundational. Number one, your prayers are words. 
I've heard people say, let us pray a silent prayer. There is no such thing as a silent prayer. Now listen to me carefully. There is meditating on the Lord that does not require you to say anything. But when it comes to prayer itself, it must be spoken out of your mouth. It is not worship unless you say it. Well, I worship God in my heart. Well, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. So if you're not worshiping, it's because it's not really in your heart. But if you can worship with your mouth, it's because it's in your heart. It must be there first. The same thing is true with prayer. There is no such thing as just a silent prayer. Now, can God hear my thoughts? Yes. Can someone be in a coma and you say, I know you can't speak, but pray to God in your head? Absolutely. But real prayer, the way the Bible says, must be in your words. Now, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 13, uh, 2 Corinthians 13. This is the third time I come to you, for in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So by the Bible says, if two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, the word gathered together in Greek, it actually can be translated if you are led together. Because I've seen two or three Christians get together, and they're talking about stuff and God ain't in five miles of what they're talking about. So just because there's two or three together doesn't mean God is there. You must, you must be led by the Spirit and be talking about Him. So there's always three. Do you know there's always three? Here we go. Ready? You, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So, so you're never really alone. It does. I, I can get myself and Jesus with me and the Holy Spirit with me, and I've got three that are communicating to the Heavenly Father. So let me just say it this way. You are never alone, somebody. So if you do, can't find that sister to pray, that brother to pray, just remember, I've got the Father in me. I've got the Holy Spirit prayer language in me, and the three of us together will join. Is it making sense? to anybody in the house. The Holy, we will join together in this particular thing. Number two, God is God moves because of your prayers. Psalms 66, uh, 17 through, eight, through 19. Here's what it says. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was exalted with my tongue. Then he said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended Unto, watch this, the voice of my prayer. So prayer is words, and then God moves to you and through you because of your words. Now, the third thing I want to share, and I'm going to say it this way, is spiritual powers from heaven are released to you through the authority of your prayer life. Let me make it more specific. Angels of God are or what are released through the power of the spoken word. Now, this is a nugget that I'm going to give you today, and I want you to follow me in it from Daniel chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. Twice, the angel Gabriel appeared to the prophet Daniel. Angel, the angel Gabriel is the angel of heaven that is God's messenger sending messages directly from God to earth. He appears to Mary and gives the message of the birth of Jesus. He appears to Zechariah, gives the message of the birth of John the Baptist. He appears to Daniel and starts giving him prophetic revelation for the future. So when God wants to send a message to a prophet or to the earth, he will use Gabriel. Now, when he wants to fight the devil, he sends Michael. Because Michael is the warring prince, according to Revelation chapter 12. 
So Gabriel shows up twice. Now I'm going to give you the first time he shows up, and I want you to track carefully with what I'm about to share with you. The first time that Gabriel shows up, he shows up the moment that Daniel is in the middle of the prayer. Where's that out? Here it is in Daniel chapter 9, 22 through 23. Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplication or at the beginning of your prayer, the command went out. What does that mean? God told me to come to you. I have come to tell you for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So here's what Gabriel says to him. He said, when you started getting into your prayer, the moment you started your supplications to God, God sent me by commandment immediately to you. Now, how do we know that? We know that because in Daniel 9, The Bible said that the angel was told to, quote, this is God speaking, fly swiftly, fly swiftly, leave heaven, get to Daniel and fly in the atmosphere from the third heaven to the second heaven swiftly. Then we read that God says to the angel that you do it during the evening oblation. The evening oblation at the temple in Jerusalem, which did not exist, it had been destroyed, but it would have been at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, I don't have time to go into the book of Acts, but I can show you that most angels appeared to apostles or to John or to the people in Scripture during the season when the sacrifices were being made at the temple. Do you remember when Zechariah goes in, what's he doing? Is at the golden altar. What's he trying to do? Offer incense. You do it twice a day. And as he's offering incense, who shows up at the right side of the altar in Luke chapter 1? The angel Gabriel. So there was something connected to the sacrifices being made, which were 9 in the morning and 3 in the afternoon. It's in the book of Acts. As the oblation was taking place at the temple, bam, the angel of God, we believe it was Gabriel, shows up and hooks up Peter with Cornelius. So there's something about the offering of the sacrifices that releases the angels of the Lord. Look in, look in, look at Cornelius. And it says in chapter 10, 1 through 4, that the angel of God came to Cornelius and said, Cornelius, thy prayers and thy alms, that's giving, have come up before God as a memorial. He is told, the angel is coming at the same time that they're offering sacrifices at the temple. So this is important that the angel is moving at the time when there would have been sacrifices made. Now that might not make a lot of sense to you because we're not killing animals today. But I'm going to tell you when God starts moving, when you make a sacrifice of praise. When you are giving a sacrificial offering. These are all a part of our sacrifices. Now, while, watch, what, watch, what, watch what Daniel says. We're in the same context, same setting. First visitation of the angel. While I was speaking, while I was speaking, the angel came. The angel came. Daniel's praying. I mean, he's in the middle of his prayer. And what happens? Gabriel interrupts him. I am Gabriel from the presence of God then starts giving him the revelation right at the moment that he is praying. But wait a minute. Watch what happens. Now, this gets deep. you gotta, you got to track with me. Watch what happens just a little bit later on in Daniel 10, 12 through 13. Daniel is fasting. <clears throat> He's three weeks praying. He 
has no answer whatsoever coming to him. He doesn't hear a thing from God for 21 days. Then it says, then the angel came to me. Again, this is Gabriel. Do not fear, Daniel, from the first. From the first day that you set your heart to pray, God heard your prayer. Mm, Your words were heard. And I'm come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia has stopped me for 21 days. Now, don't miss the point. The angel was about to do the same thing he did before. The moment he's praying, the first day he prays, fly swiftly. There's the answer. That's earlier in the book of Daniel. Chapter 10 now, what does God say? The angel said, the first day that you prayed, the first day you opened your mouth, the first day God heard your words. And I was on my way to bring the answer to your prayer, the first day, but something happened in the atmosphere that you couldn't see. The demonic prince of the kingdom of Persia shot up into the second heaven and grabbed the angel Gabriel and said, you're not going down there to give him that revelation. And Gabriel got in a battle. It's in your Bible. In the heavenly places, in the second heaven. And the first week went by and Daniel's still holding on. And the second week goes by and Daniel is still holding on. And he's coming to the third week and Daniel is fasting. He's getting weaker. Read it in the Bible. He gets weak. He gets tired. He can't hardly physically stand up. And finally, the angel says, here's what happened. I was in the upper atmosphere for three weeks, and it was being hindered. I couldn't get nowhere. But God turned to Michael, the archangel, and said, you go down there and take that prince of Persia, and you withhold him. You tie him up so that my messenger, Gabriel, can get through. So I've come by. Wasilla, Alaska, to tell somebody something that your answer to your prayer might be hanging over Anchorage right now. The answer to your prayer might be hanging over Washington, D.C. right now. The answer to your prayer might be hanging over Seattle, Washington right now. What am I saying? Because the messenger of God has come to you, but there's demon powers in America. There's principalities working like you've never seen before. There's spirits, principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places, wicked devils in political realms. The entire atmosphere of the United States has shifted from that of love and peace and joy to confusion and hate and mob mentality. And I want you to understand something. We are in a warfare like Daniel was in, in Daniel chapter 10. But God sent me by to tell you, hold on, help is on the way. Oh, bless the Lord, you his angels who excel in strength, who do his word. Watch this. Heeding to the voice of his word. Psalms 103.20. Do you know what Paul says about preaching? He said, when you preach, angels desire to look into these things. While you're sitting here, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, washed in the blood, filled with the Holy Spirit, angels never had that opportunity. The angels never had the opportunity to feel what it was like for the burden of sin to lift off of them. So this is why the Bible says when a person gets saved, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. And the angels look at one another and say, wonder what that felt like. 
Look at them. They're free. Wonder what that felt like. And then we taste of the power of the world to come. Angels are not normally baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's a gift for the people of God. When you begin to shake and your hair begin to stand on end and you begin to speak in tongues and you shift from English to tongues, you know, there are tongues of angels, Paul said. So the angels basically speak the same language. You get two languages, three languages. You get diverse tongues. You may get like my daddy had 16 languages he spoke in tongues in. But see, the angels, when you begin to speak in tongues, they say, mm, I wonder what that's like. Oh, Oh, see, when the Bible says thou hast made man a little lower than the angels, that's a mistranslation. When they translated the King James, they didn't want to put the real translation of what was in there because they thought it was too heavy. It says you have made him a little lower than the Elohim. Elohim is the word for God. You've made, now you're not a little God running around. Don't mistranslate that. But I'm telling you, matahote, you can do something that a normal angel, angels are spirits. And in a spirit body, an angel cannot do this in a spirit body. But a man and a woman who are flesh can get together and create a little being in the image of God. Because man was made in God's image and God's likeness. And you have an eternal spirit in that baby that'll never die. So you can do something the angels cannot do. You can do something the angels cannot do. Oh, Oh, God help me. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. You can do something the angels cannot do. Did you? I don't want to. Lord, please don't make me get off on a different message. Please don't make me get off on a different message. But you understand heaven hadn't been singing in a while. Heaven hadn't. If you see, it says, oh, the angels sang when Jesus was born. No, they did not. They said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. They weren't singing. Go back and read your Bible. They said, glory to God in the highest. Angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know why? Because when Satan fell, he was the worship leader of heaven and the song got corrupted so the angels haven't been able to sing but when God redeemed you back to him filled you with the Holy Ghost you sing to the presence of God and when we get to heaven we're going to restore heaven's song back that the devil took because he had pipes he had tablets he was the worship leader and when he fell he took a third of the worshiping angels with him and heaven ain't been able to sing but when we the redeemed saints of God that are the replacement for that old devil that fell when we get to heaven we're going to sing a new song that's never been sung worthy is the lamb that was slain. So when you worship down here, you're just practicing for later. Watch this. What if, touch your name and say, what if? What if Daniel would have quit? What if Daniel would have just said, this is too much. I'm breaking my fast after 14 days. I can't do this. Do you understand? Let me, t- let me explain to you what would have happened if Daniel would have quit. You would not have in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12. Because 11 and 12 are what the angel told him the entire time he stood there after 21 days. And let me explain to you about Daniel chapter 11 and chapter 12. Daniel 11 and chapter 12 are the most phenomenal verses, chapters in the entire Bible because they give you the world history of empires all the way to the time of the Antichrist. There are verses that I preach. I just did a series on the Antichrist, eight hours of teaching. And there are verses I tell you that are only found in Daniel 11 where the Antichrist plants 
his headquarters in the city of Jerusalem between the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. That's in those chapters. Where there's 1,335 days, that's in that chapter. Where it says there'll be a resurrection, it's in that chapter. Where Michael the archangel will fight the Antichrist spirit and defeat it, it's chapter 12 and verse 1. I can take you to chapter 11. It gives you the history of Egypt, the history of Syria, the history of the Antichrist, the history of Antiochus Epiphanes. It gives you that history that had not yet happened. Ah, so here's what I'm trying to tell you. Oh, Splitfoot, the devil, the prince of the air, the prince of the kingdom of Persia said, I can't let that guy get that revelation. Because if that guy gets that revelation, we're going to be in deep trouble. Why do you think that Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 writes and says, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation. There was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I would be exalted above measure. What does that mean? The word messenger in 2 Corinthians 12 is the Greek word for angel. The word buffet means to deal one blow after the other. It's the same Greek word found where it said they buffeted Christ. They slapped him on the face. They'd hit him and back up and hit him again. And Paul said, when I get up, I get knocked down. When I get up, I get knocked down. 2 Corinthians 11, read it. 22 things Paul had to go through. He went through hell to preach this gospel. He went to the, mm, he went to Arabia and spent a long time in Arabia and walked off of Mount Sinai in Arabia. This is in the book of Galatians with seven revelations that no apostle got. He is the one that got the revelation of the rapture of the church. Nobody saw it but Paul. First Thessalonians 4. He's the one that got the revelation of the mystery of the resurrection. First Corinthians chapter 15. He's the one that got the revelation of the mystery of Christ in the church as a husband loves his wife. Seven revelations that Paul got that he would have never received. And the, the devil said, you know what? I can't have him getting these revelations. I'm going to give him a thorn in the flesh. I'm going to make it that every town he preaches in, they beat him up. Everywhere he goes, they arrest him. I'm going to lock him up in a prison cell. But what he didn't know is Paul had a song that the angels couldn't sing. And he got locked up in a jailhouse. And the Bible said when they sang at midnight, God started patting his foot. I'll preach it the way I want to. And God began to shake that prison house. And everybody in the jailhouse came, got free. And Elvis Presley wrote a song, Jailhouse Rock. Come on, somebody. I want to tell you that the God that we serve, Daniel, he, Daniel could have quit and we'd have been short of prophecy. Daniel could have quit and the will of God would not have been totally completed. Daniel could have quit and we'd have had a big missing link. But because Daniel took out the quit option. I've come by to tell somebody, you got to take out the quit option. You do not put in your marriage an option for divorce. You do not put in your family the option that one of your kids is going to go to hell. You don't put in your family the option that they're going to die on drugs or die on alcohol. you got to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I want to tell somebody that if you'll hold on to your prayer like Daniel did, if you'll confess like Daniel did, if you'll stay faithful like Daniel did, there'll be a breakthrough that'll come because you didn't give up. Because I will... Would somebody help me praise God in this house this morning? Hey, because, because. So let me take you back when the Lord spoke to me and said, don't abort your breakthrough. What he was saying to me is, Perry, here's what you're doing. Now listen to me. This is what he taught me. He said, first of all, you were going against your own prayers. Because in your prayer, you said one thing. And now you're flipping it, so you're going against your prayer. He told me, secondly, you're going against your faith. Listen to James 1, 6 through 8. But let him ask, he's talking about asking in prayer. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. 
For he that wavers is like the wave of a sea driven by the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded, and that word double-minded in Greek literally means two-spirited. A two-spirited person is unstable in all of their ways. Mm-hmm. Now that word to be without wavering comes from a Greek word that means this, not to blend it. In other words, if you took something here and something there, you would be blending it together and it would be a mix. So to be unwavering is to stay steadfast in what you've said and not be mixing other things in with it to change the formula of the faith that you now have. Somebody help me preach for just a minute. Say glory to God. Somebody hit somebody say glory to God. But you've got to ask in faith, nothing wavering. That means you've got to stand steadfast. You've got to stand firm. So this, so it's about faith. And then watch this. If you begin to pray one thing, then you begin to speak something else opposite. You're not holding your confession. Hebrews chapter 10, 23 through 24, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. There's that word again. For he, speaking of God, is faithful that promise. Number four, this is the four things the Lord taught me. He said, when you say one prayer and you speak contrary to your prayer, well, I don't know if God's going to do it. Well, I don't What you're doing is this. He said, you are going against the will of God because it is God that searches the heart and it's the spirit that makes intercession according to the will of God's Roman, Roman eight, Romans 8, verse 27. So watch 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. Listen, Hold fast that which is good. 2 Timothy 1.13. Hold fast to sound words. Hebrews 3.6. Hold fast in confidence until the end. Hebrews 4.14. Let us hold fast the profession. And that word can be confession also, what we speak of our faith. Revelation 2.25 and also chapter 3, verse 3. Hold fast till I come. What does hold fast mean? It means to seize on it, to hold on to it and retain it. Now, I'm going to give you an Einstein theory. I can tell you're thrilled. Don't everybody shout at once, please. You'll overwhelm me. The Einstein theory goes something like this. Traveling at the speed of light. Light travels at over, slightly over 186,000 miles per second. And it goes around the earth 7.44 times in one second. In other words, at the equator, lightning or light would go over seven times in one second. (laughs) And you're worried about where your angel is. Angels move like lightning if you read Ezekiel 1, which means that they can get to where you are. they can, trick, they can take a trip around the earth seven times before you even get their name out. Is anybody hearing this? There's a theory, and I, have a, I had a scientist that was uh, on my board at one time, and he was a, geni- a genius, and we discussed this. <laughs> if you are in a spaceship and traveling the speed of light, and you were to go 25 years in the ship with the calendar there showing you that 25 Earth, 25 actual years in your time had gone by, everybody you know would be dead on Earth long, 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 long time ago. Um, I'm going to try to explain this the best I can. Let me just keep it simple, if I may. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. 
and a thousand years to God is as one day. Now, you have to watch this theoretically to watch how it works, and you're going to understand. Father, I thank you. I thank you. I believe with all of my heart. I feel your presence, God, that you're going to help me. That was said on May 30th, June 30th. I don't know where you're at. I've been praying and praying and believing, and you're not coming through. From May 30th to June 30th on earth is 30 days. But because of time's difference at the throne room of a day representing a thousand and a thousand of being a day, here's how God heard it. Thank you, I believe. Where are you at? I mean, it, it was a time element on earth, but you got to get into this time-space thing, the speed of light. I wish I had time to just preach on this. This would blow your mind out of the water, and you'd walk out of here not even understanding anything I said, and that's why I'm not preaching on it from, from a scientific perspective. Now, the reason you've got to hold your profession of faith is not because of God not wanting to move, because go back from the first day you prayed. God heard. Did you hear what I just said? Well, I've been, I've been praying a long time. Hey, from the first day you prayed, if your heart was right, God heard. But there are situations God has to work through on earth, and that's where faith and patience, the power trends come in. You have to have faith, and you got to have patience. Now, let me explain to you how that works. Are you ready? Sister Huckabuck, that's just somebody we don't even know who that is. I have to, if I say Sue or Bill, there's 20 Bills and 10 Sues in the church, okay? So I have to try to use a name that nobody knows. Sister Hickamosai. Sister Hickamosai has a husband who's not saved. Is anybody here that has a companion that's not saved, either husband or wife? Raise your hand. Is there, is there several? Several? Okay. Okay. The rest of you either lying or, um, or God bless you. Thank God that both of them are saved. Amen. I didn't say that to you. Some of you really need to chill out. I can tell some of you didn't have coffee this morning. We need to, there's some coffee in the back when church is over. You'll be all right. Now, I want you, I want, I want you to watch this and see if you can catch the illustration. Sister Hukamosai has a husband that's not saved, and she's been praying for a long time for her husband to be saved. It could be anything. It could be a child that's not saved. It could be whoever. And uh, God decides to show her and reveal to her how it's going to happen. Oh, God, show me how. How are you going to do this? So God shows her a dream one night and says, Here is a, here's an office in Texas. This office is called Stone's uh, Quarry, and your husband works in a rock quarry. So what's going to happen is this. The president of Stone's Quarry is going to shut that quarry down in six months. And he's going to move to your town and open up a new rock quarry. And he's going to hire your husband. And this guy is saved with the Holy Spirit. And your husband's going to like him. He's going to win your husband. So in one year's time, when that man moves, your husband's going to be saved. Now, here's what we would do. <gasps> Wake up. Then we'd go to the phone book. Ma'am, could you have a Stone's Quarry down in Texas? Certain sound there. Yes, that's it. Oh, God, that's it. And you call the number because God gave you the name of the man. This is, hello, this is Miss Huckenbuck. I'm up here. I'm up here in Alaska. And I just want to tell you I had a dream about you last night. And this guy's saying, ma'am, I don't even know who you are. You're a nut and hangs up the phone. And you just stepped in and may have ruined everything, God. 
Can I prove it? Can I, can I prove it happened in the Bible? Can I prove to you it happened in the Bible? Abraham is told at 75 he's going to have a son. He's 86 years of age. 11 years has gone by. He's not had a son. And Sarah says, Sarah, but I just tell you what, it must not be me because you know I'm bare and I can't have no babies. So you got that in my Egyptian handmaiden. If you want to go into her and have a son, then we'll have a baby. We'll just adopt it in or do whatever we need to do. And I don't know of any wife in their right mind going to give their husband the girlfriend. That's, a, that's, the craziest, that's the craziest verse in the Bible. So you know what happened, right? Abraham decides to go into Agar, have a son, and it wasn't the promised son. It wasn't the son of promise. Read your Bible. It was named, his name was Ishmael, and they ended up in a family feud. Now, here the crazy Sarah tells Abraham to do that, then gets mad when the baby comes and kicks the baby and the woman out of the house because two women can't love the same man. You might try, but it ain't going to work. <laughs> Guess what? Guess what? The whole Middle East has been messed up since that time. Because all those descendants of Ishmael have battled the Jewish people. And, you know, read, read your history. The Arabs and the Jews have had these struggles. Islam and Christianity and Judaism, they've had this struggle all these years. And everybody, and they'll even tell you over there that you'll ask the Arabs, y'all, how come y'all don't get along? We do not know. We're cousins. We do not know. There's something there. Let me tell you what God said about Ishmael. God said about Ishmael, he will be a wild man. Now, I'm not being crude. I'm telling you what the Hebrew reads. You go have a, just have somebody check it out. It says he'll be a wild ass. And that simply means a wild donkey. And I come across a wild donkey in Israel one time, and you can't put a saddle on them, and you can't ride them, and they'll kick the living daylights out of you and kick out of you everything that's in you if you get in their way. And it says his hand shall be against every man. And you look at the Middle East, how messed up it is. The Syrians and the fighting the Lebanese, and the Iranians are fighting the Iraqis. And the, everybody's fighting over there. Talk to me, somebody. And it's all because Sarah got in a hurry. Do you know why God waited? Can I tell you why Sarah waited? Why God? Can I tell you one verse? You want to hear it? One verse in the Bible, why God waited. It says, and Sarah ceased to be after the manner of women. Then God got let her get pregnant. You know what that means? She went through menopause. Now, you're supposed to go through that. You ladies, help me now. You're supposed to go through that. And once you go through that, it's very unlikely you're going to have a baby. Am I telling the truth? Talk to me, ladies. Would you all ladies raise your hand if I'm telling the truth here? Please help me. Okay, so you know why God waits till she goes through menopause? Because God wanted that baby to be a miracle baby. God wanted Israel to be a miracle nation. And God one day would bring a son into the earth through a virgin, which is a biological impossibility. So God said, I'll bring a boy to the earth one day through a virgin. So I'm going to give birth to a nation through a woman who ain't even supposed to get pregnant. Hallelujah. So th this is the reason why when we pray and when we begin to believe, we have to do what now? What's the, what, remember the verses I just read? What was the phrase? Hold fast. Hold fast is grab it, seize on to it, and, and here's, the, here's the key. Listen to Perry Stone. Don't let go. When God told me I aborted my breakthrough, I sat on the couch, put my hands up, and repented. I said, I canceled those words in Jesus' name. I will not allow, in Jesus' name, Satan to present those words before the throne of God. Now, 
I may have told you the brief version of this when I was here last time, but a lot of you may not have been here. I'm going to tell a story that actually happened, which, is, which changed my life. And this story told me how to pray to get results. Does anybody want to hear a story that's how to pray to get results? Because if we're going to pray, we might as well get results. Would you agree? I was preaching in uh, East Point, Florida at a Church of God church, and there was a pastor by the name of Robert Kimberly. And uh, I did not know this, but his wife had sat under R.W. Schambach and A.A. Allen and saw great miracles. And so I st- when I meet these people, I say, tell me the greatest miracle you ever saw. That's, I've met, I met the organ player for Or Roberts in the 1940s. He told me the greatest miracle he had ever seen. Thea Jones, I, I talked to the people who said Thea prayed for a boy that had only white eyeballs. He had no pupil, no retina. God healed him, put two eyeballs in his head. In Winston-Salem, North Carolina, I talked to the man who was on the platform when it happened. So I love hearing these stories. So Kimberling said the greatest miracle I ever saw was in 1985, or I heard about, I heard about, was 1985. I was pastoring in Lemon, South Dakota. It was a, it was a very historic church for the Church of God denomination. Several general overseers were kids that had gotten saved over the Holy Ghost and later became leaders of the church, presidents of the college. It had this great history to it. And there were, the clerk's name was Valley Bishop. Valley Bishop, after Robert, Brother and Sister Kimberling got into what they called the parsonage of the house, said to them, you have a very senior member of the church named Liz Brockwell who was called and says you must go visit her uh, and, and spend some time with her. Where does she live? Well, she lives in Boston, South Dakota, 40 miles away. They said, well, let's, let us get in about a week from now. So they set a weekend to just go visit her. They actually were going to make it a quick visit. They came in, introduced themselves. They said, well, well we won't stay long. She said, yes, you will. She said, I'm going to cook. She said, you sit down there. You're going to hear my story. You're not leaving till you hear my testimony. And here's, here's this older lady's testimony. It was about 1928. And Liz, Liz uh, Brockwell, the woman, her husband's name was Adam, and two daughters were working very hard in South Dakota to keep their farm ranch together. It was on the edge of the Great Depression. The wind was blowing the topsoil away. Anybody remember the Dust Bowl in American history? It was horrible. And she found out that her husband had come down with tuberculosis. So they're about to lose the ranch. They can't grow any food. Her husband has tuberculosis. So they sent her husband, Adam, to a sanitarium in Rapid City, South Dakota, And the doctor had just called her when this happened. The doctor had already called her and said, I need you to bring a suit. Does he have a suit? She says, well, yes, he does. He said, well, bring it this weekend. He won't be alive another two weeks. So now her husband's dying. So she goes to an old trunk, and she pulls out this suit, and she puts it over the line. And I don't know why the old-timers did this. I've heard them, where they take a stick and beat that suit, I guess, to get the, the oat. Somebody tell me why they did that. Moth, mothball, the smell. Get the smell out. Okay. I always wonder, what's she doing beating the suit on the road? <laughs> I ain't that old school. I'm old school, but I ain't that old school. So thank you for helping me with that. But anyway, she was, she's told the pastor that she was doing that. But when she went to pack it to get ready to go to the sanitarium, she couldn't pack it. She just, she just felt so, she, but she was. Now, that's pretty bad. But the only cow they have is dying because it got into a barbed wire fence, split its side. And it, there was a large sore on it. It was infected. It was on the ground. It didn't have the strength to get up. And maggots were coming out of it. So the cow's about to die. So Liz said that what she did 
She's, she's beating that suit. The cow's laying there, so she's going to take some little bit of what little grain they got and try to hand feed the cow, take a little bit of water to it. And she says, all of a sudden, in the midst of all this, she looks up there, and there comes what she calls a devil wind. The devil wind is a whirlwind that just comes out of nowhere that lifts up, lifts up the sand. It's a dust storm, but it's in the wind. It's not all over. It's, not, it's just one place. And she just says, God, I can't take much more of this. It's coming right toward her. Now, <laughs> I can already tell this. I love this story. So as the wind spins, she just crosses her arm and just stands there like, okay, whatever. <laughs> just blow me over. Just, just, you know, there's the suit. Mess the suit up. The cow's laying there. Just kill the cows. Let's get it over with. You know, it's just, how bad can it get? The wind stopped at a distance from her. Now, you ready for this? And when the wind dropped and the dust dropped, a man stood there looking at her. And it was an angel of God in the form of a person. And he started walking toward her and stopped. And here, (laughs) the angel said, Liz, Adam will not die. God said to tell you he's going to return home, he's going to father a daughter and live to see her raised. Now, Liz, as a sign to you that this is going to happen, the cow that is dying will get up on its own and walk to the barn and it shall live and not die. And Liz got so full of, she's so excited. She says these words, sir, if this happens, I will sell the cow for Church of God World Missions. In other words, I'll sell the cow and give the money to God. She said this angel got the meanest look on his face and just did this and looked at her and said seven words that changed her life. And when Kimberling said this, you were with me, I jumped up and started running in the building. The angel said to her, Liz, there are no ifs in God's plans. The only if God ever says is a condition. If you abide, I will reside. If you ask in my name. If you humble yourself, I hear your name. The if is God saying to us, I have a condition for you to meet. Satan's if, watch this. When you say if, Satan's if is always put it off to later or doubt. Well, if God will do it, what you just do? You just told God, I don't know if you're going to do it. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are. See, Satan's if is to make you question who you are, your identity in Christ, make you question God's will, make you question if God can do it. So in, listen to, I'm going to teach you something. You'll never go and forget this if you'll hear this little preacher. When I say anytime, well, if God, if God, if God, I have just questioned God's willingness. And that's what God taught me. And, <laughs> and I'd heard this story, and I sat in that couch, and I heard the Lord say, you know, I was saying, boy, if, my, if this and this, and if Jonathan would ever get saved, if Jonathan would ever get delivered, I was saying if for nine years. You listen to me, I'm going to help you. I said if for nine years, and if was doing two things, questioning if God would do it, 
and questioning if it would happen. And my friend, that was not faith. So I prayed, believing I had faith, but in my mouth the whole time I'm talking about my boy. Pam will remember this. Well, if he'd ever do this, if he'd ever do that, if he'd ever get a job, if, 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 if. And God spoke to me in that hotel room and said, I'm going to tell you how to change your prayer to get an answer. And I said, yes, sir. He said, never say if again about your boy. Never say if about anything that I tell you. You say when. It's like a light bulb came on. I jumped up and said, when my boy gets saved. <laughs> when he gets delivered. And I refused from that moment on. I refused to say an if out of my mouth. And let me tell you, my boy got up one morning and said to me, he was on drugs, he was addicted. He got up one morning and said to me, he said, Dad, I, I've not made a lot of wise decisions. And I know I said never, I never work for you. But he said, do you have a job I can do? I don't want to cook the rest of my life in a restaurant. I said, brother, I said, you're a genius with computers. And if I don't have one, I'll find one. Let me just tell you about my boy today. They have a house right beside of us. I got two little grandbabies, a two-and-a-half-year-old and a one-year-old. One, one and my boy now works for Karen Wheaton in the ramp out of our 72,000-square-foot uh, building in Cleveland, Tennessee. He runs the sound. He's full of faith. He loves Jesus. And he ain't bound by nothing right now. So all I want to say to you, because I'm, I'm done. I could, I could preach, man, we could elaborate and add too. But all I want to say to you is this. When you speak contrary, when this building's being built, you should be saying, when God pays this thing off, not if, never say if. If puts it off. If is saying down the road. If is saying maybe one day. If is always a question. Well, I'll be to church if it don't rain. You just put a condition on it. Well, God's going to bless me if I get that job. No, no, no. God's going to bless you if you get that job or not. Take the if. Touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, take that if out. Is this helping anybody besides me? Raise your hands in this house. Okay. When you know, pay attention here. This is important. When you know God's will and you're in it, never use an if. You know why? There are no ifs. <laughs> huh? Oh, I didn't finish the story. Thank you, baby. She's helped me twice to finish the story. So here's what happened. So after that took place, Liz went to the sanitarium without the suit, and the doctor rebuked her, but called her in two weeks later that they couldn't find TB in her husband. The husband went home. They had a daughter. He outlived his doctor. She sold the cow for world missions. The farm started prospering because she took the if out. So everything turned out great for this woman of God and her family. During the depression and during the bowl, the dust bowl God provided through the entire time for them. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.